This is an ABC podcast. This is Stories from the Pacific with Bobby McCumber on ABC Radio Australia. Hi, I'm Bobby McCumber. Thanks for joining me for Stories from the Pacific on ABC Radio Australia. Stories from the Pacific is a conversation with someone you may or may not have heard of. A Pacific Islander who has seen and done amazing things. And today, that incredible person is archaeologist Dr Teresi Vunidillo. The youngest of seven children, Teresi's interest for the environment started when she was playing in her own backyard. A luscious forest full of Indigenous plants with loads of native animals, she revelled in her surroundings. Teresi grew up listening to stories from her mother and two grandmothers, memories that resonated with her throughout her schooling. The Fijian archaeologist joins me now. Welcome, Dr. Teresi. Gulivinaka, aloha, and uh, thank you for inviting me to be part of this program. Uh, Dr. Teresi, you grew up in a village just outside of Suva. What was your home like? My home uh, in uh, Dolisuva was you know, very simple yet you know, full of fun. I have a lot of really um, happy memories you know, of living there. Um, also, you know, surrounded by uh, my family, uh, as well as, you know, the beautiful forest. So that's my life in Dole Suva, which is about maybe eight miles away from uh, the capital city of Suva. Can you describe that backyard for me growing up as a kid? Yes, uh, my house was surrounded by flowers. My mom was a, a very much a lover of flowers. And then she also planted a lot of fruit trees. I often remember most of my life was always, you know, doing things, um, you know, feeding the pigs, looking after the garden. So my house is surrounded by plants such as kalo, uh, sweet potatoes. Uh, so kalo is the taro, cassava, bananas, breadfruit. And my mother was also a prolific weaver. Uh, and so she also planted pandanas, uh, which is where, you know, we make the beautiful mats and, and baskets and fans from. So, and right beside our house was a beautiful, you know, cool little creek. Uh, that's where, you know, you go and cool yourself in, you know, after uh, a hard day work uh, in, in the garden. Uh, what was the relationship like with your siblings growing up? For me, being the youngest, I felt that I was really spoiled from them. Uh, they really <laughs> loved me as their little baby sister. And in the Fijian or Itoke way of doing things, you know, seniority is really important. So for those of us who are the youngest, you know, I'm expected to obey those who are older than me. And so I'm always uh, being given instruction from sibling one, two, three, four, five, you know, all the way up. <laughs> It continued even until now, uh, which is kind of like a reverse today because I'm the one telling them what to do, which is really cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how, how important was storytelling in your family? It was very much, you know, ingrained in our family daily life. I just kind of remember, you know, my favourite part of my life was, you know, the dinner table. That's where all the talk happens. And then also when you're about to go to sleep, uh, my mom, she sometimes weave at the same time while we are you know, bringing our blankets and our pillows to go to bed. 
And uh, that's when the storytelling begins. And even sometimes when my mom is not in the mood to tell the story, we we ask her, mom, can you tell us the story about that fish? Or can you tell us a story about that bird? Even though we've heard it like 25 times before, but it was how my mother puts life into that story. So even though she's talked about it so many times, the way she delivers it, it's like we've just heard it for the very first time. And so it really made my imagination, you know, so crisp and clear in which a lot of the stories she talks about was from the island of Kantabu where she was raised. Uh, so I was born in Suva. So I missed that part of my mother's life. And so for her telling us stories of how she grew up on Kandavu just made me want to go to the island and to make it real, you know, for me to see that with different places that she shares in her storytelling. How has the gift of storytelling been passed on to you? With my mom's, you know, beautiful, poetic way of expressing herself and the way she describes the environment and also the key character, if it's a fish or if it's a bird, it just kind of became part of me. And so now that I'm being a teacher and I've got my own, you know, podcast that I share stories to children in the Fijian language, I just, you know, really acknowledge, you know, my grandmother and my mom and all of those maternal links, you know, who share with me, you know, that joy of storytelling. So it is really important, you know, for our older generation to continue to do that. If, even if our children or grandchildren are sleeping, their ears are listening, you know. We have all these <laughs> beautiful senses, you know, that God created in us that we may have our eyes closed, but our ears are very sharp and we can remember and our brain captures all these stories. When did your curiosity for Fijian history begin? I think my uh, curiosity for that started at a very young age. Before I went to, to primary school, I think at a very young age, my mom, I really acknowledge my mom here because she was an amazing storyteller. And so her stories, because it was so connected to the vanua, you know, to the land, to the flora and fauna, from the get-go, I get to see the beauty in trees and birds and flowers because the storytelling made all of these things come alive. And so my imagination just kind of, you know, went so wild to uh, the stage where, you know, when I see a flower, I can hear my mother's voice. When I see a fish, I can hear my mother's voice. And I know that in our Fijian culture, we are born into tribes that has totems. So I have a fish. I have a flower, I have a tree. And when I see this tree, this flower, I see me, I see my ancestors. And so all this kind of storytelling really resonated, you know, with my surroundings. That connection to arts and culture and heritage started from a very uh, early age in which I could see my pathway ending up in the museum. So when many of my friends who know me very well, Bobby, you know, when I ended up, when many of them, 98% became teachers and I became an archaeologist, a lot of my friends said, oh, we're not surprised. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because I love old things. I love to talk about trees. I love to talk about rocks because my friends, they they they, they didn't see that, but I saw that because of uh, the upbringing that I had at home. Mm. You speak so fondly of your mother. In 2001, sadly, she passed away. 
Mm-hmm. Can you tell me what she was like? My mom was, I don't know how to explain it in maybe just one word. She was just so full of life. I think that's a better phrase I, sh- I should say. You know, she was an orphan. You know, she was four months old when um, my grandfather died. And so I think for her being raised by her two grandmothers who were both spinsters at that time, and she really spoke of her two grandmothers very fondly. She always acknowledged them. She always said, oh, you know, uh, Grandma Serima, she taught me this. And then she tells us a story. Oh, Grandma Mericini, she was named after her other grandmother. And those stories that she remembered from her two grandmothers that raised her continued to her children. And so she was just so articulate and so poetic. And she, even though, you know, she grew up as an orphan, I say the phrase, you know, looking at the glass half empty, she'll never, ever look at things like that. It's always full, you know, always full. You're listening to Stories from the Pacific on ABC Radio Australia. I'm Bobby McCumber and joining me is Fijian archaeologist Dr Teresi Vunidilo. How did your parents react when you first went to university? It was uh, a big deal in the family because I, you know, I'm the first person in my family uh, to go to university. And so breaking that mold was quite a, a big thing. They were very proud of me and they told me that, which was really amazing. And um, I was very happy in a way that I was able to fulfill uh, the dreams of my parents because they never were able to do that. Um, And also because my father was the only breadwinner in the family, I was very fortunate to successfully have uh, offered two scholarships after I passed my Fiji School Living Certificate uh, from Andhita Kumbau School. You know, getting the scholarship and getting a spot at the university were two amazing, you know, um, opportunities, you know, that happened to a young girl at that time. And you have two children yourself. How would you describe them? Uh, My daughter is 23 years old. My son is 21. Uh, So Leo and uh, Meruwe Rita, they are just two great, fun-loving children. Our joy of travel and our joy of life, I share it with my children. And have you passed on the stories that your mother told you to your children? Yes, um, I think for them. Uh, maybe sometimes, you know, when we talk, sometimes they feel like, you know, they have no choice but to sit there and listen to me. <laughs> You know, as I share my story to them and uh, I've also inculcated to them their love of museums. You know, I mm. uh, every city we travel to, you know, we've been to Australia, all around New Zealand. Um, we've been to the US. So in every uh, new country we visit, you know, sometimes they say, oh, mom, please, not another museum. <laughs> You know, before we travel, they're like, no, mom, don't don't take us to the museum. But they have no choice. You know, whenever we reach the city, <laughs> I'm I'm opening up, you know, the travel brochure and looking for the closest museum to where we're staying. Uh, even though they complain uh, at the end of the visit to the museum, they come back and they say, oh, mom, I really enjoyed that. I saw this dinosaur. <laughs> I learned about this. I saw this basket or I remember, you know, the story you told us. So, yes, I've, I've actually shared a lot of what I was uh you know, taught from home, but also new stories as well in the countries that we've lived in. What's the difference between history and archaeology and how are they connected? 
Archaeology is a scientific way of finding out about the past through excavations. You know, study of people, study of men, study of society, uh, but involves, you know, digging of uh, old village sites in which we can be able to identify artifacts that are maybe done in the soil. And, uh, you know, we try and decipher what life was like back in the day. In comparison to history, history is more to do with written stories of the past. So it's more kind of like modern, more recent. So that's kind of like the difference between the two. So archaeology goes back, in the case of Fiji, 3,000 years ago. And so when you mention history, it can take us to 1874, uh, when Fiji was ceded to Britain, or when the missionaries arrived in Fiji in 1830. Is there a link between community and history? Yes, definitely. And uh, I think for me, you know, when I look at, uh, you know, history and communities, history and archaeology, the common denominator is people. And uh, above that is stories. So we have generations, so many have passed away. And the stories, especially in Indigenous communities, including Fiji, um, most of our stories are passed down through oral history. And so, uh, yes, um, you know, history uh, is very much, you know, encapsulated through a lot of these uh, stories, even including place names. That's an area that I'm really interested in it right now, in which, you know, a lot of the names of mountains names of rivers, names of our villages, even our tribes, they all have meaning. So it comes back to people and stories. In 1993, you were selected as an exchange student at the University of Hawaii. How did this come about? That was the first time I had my passport and first time for me to fly in an aeroplane. I was really excited and it's part of my life that uh, stays with me, you know, until now. I was at uh, my lectures. I was uh, at the University of the South Pacific at that time in my geography class. And it was announced in class that there was an exchange program taking place between the University of Hawaii and the University of the South Pacific. And so I put in my application and I was in the final uh, group of students that were interviewed. I think there were three of us, if I remembered, and two from the three were uh, successful. So it was myself and a colleague of mine from Kiribati. She now works for the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. Her name is Rores Eritai. And we were selected to be here in Hawaii for a spring semester and summer uh, semester. So we were here for eight months. So it was a wonderful opportunity for learning because I was majoring in geography and sociology at the University of the South Pacific. They introduced me to anthropology here uh, in Hawaii. So that was the subject that was able to combine geography and sociology. And interestingly enough, Fast forward to 2018, I was selected as an academic faculty member here at the University of Hawaii Hilo in the very department that I was studying in in 1993. <laughs> Come full circle there. This is Stories from the Pacific with Bobby McCumber on ABC Radio Australia. Let's take it back to Fiji. What do you remember about the first coup that your family experienced in Fiji? Yes, that was 1987. I was still in school. I was still in school at that time uh, when it was announced in the radio that uh, we were, you know, we had to stay home, that this uh, military coup or takeover has taken place. Even when the the word, you know, coup was used, um, many of us, especially me, because at home we only speak the, the dialect from Kandavu, 
uh, where my mom and dad's from, like we never understood what the word was. You know, they're like, oh, they're talking about a military coup. And I think as the um, as they were describing what the coup was, I think the word takeover started being used. So we kind of understood, oh, you know, someone has taken over the leadership. And then we started seeing um, the information on, on TV uh, in which the military are led by Sitiveni uh, Rambuka. So for me, uh, who is now the current prime minister, uh, interestingly enough, you know, how things change. Uh, my memory was um, there was a lot of military checkpoints because we live in Dolisuva, which is eight miles away from uh, the capital city. Uh, we had to go through, if I can remember, maybe about four checkpoints from Suva on the way home. And it was kind of scary, you know, because we, 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 you know, we don't normally, we only see that in movies, right? And when you actually see it in real life and you see Fijian men holding guns, you know, at the checkpoint, um, looking at us sitting in the bus and no one was speaking. Everyone was quiet. Did it change how you lived your life in Fiji? Yes, it does. You know, it uh, uh, changed, the, you know, my perspective of Fiji. You know, my perspective of Fiji was how I view Fiji from a child's view. You know, like my love of the environment, my love of people, the freedom, you know, to move around. And it changed on that day, you know, where we were not allowed to move around. After 6 p.m., I remember there was a curfew and it really kind of took away that freedom, you know. And I look at the word freedom differently now. You know, that freedom that I remembered growing up was, you know, going to uncle so-and-so's place and being there, have dinner there, watch a movie, or, and then come back home. And it was very safe. But after the first coup, yeah, it really changed a lot of things and the way I view Fiji. What did you do after the coup in 2000? After the coup in 2000, I uh, was very frustrated uh, because I felt that, you know, this uh, coup culture is continuing, you know. I still remember the first coup in 87. And now again, in 2000, there's still this coup happening. And uh, I was just, I remember saying, you know, I've had enough of this, you know, I want to leave. And so I did. I left. I just said, you know, to, to my family, uh, we're moving to New Zealand. We found an immigration consultant and they processed our paper. And uh, within uh, three to four months, we got our permanent residency in New Zealand. And I resigned from my role as director of the Fiji Museum in uh, 2000. And we uh, left for New Zealand in February of 2001. Dr. Teresi, how did your life change moving to New Zealand? I think moving to, to New Zealand, one thing that I remember the most, I started to miss Fiji a lot. Uh, you know, remember the frustration I mentioned earlier with the, the continuity of the coup and all of that negative feeling I had about Fiji. But when I set foot in New Zealand and then I look back at Fiji, I started to miss home. I started to appreciate things that I had there. But then I was reminded by my husband that our opportunity to be in New Zealand will be education. And uh, so that's what we did. You know, even though I miss Fiji so much, uh, we decided to take the opportunity to study at the University of Waikato uh, in Hamilton and also at the University of Auckland. And at the back of our minds, myself and my husband, was that, you know, the study that we're going to do in New Zealand, we were thinking of applying what skills that we learn when we return uh, to Fiji eventually in the future. You're listening to Stories from the Pacific on ABC Radio Australia. 
I'm Bobby McCumber and joining me is Fijian archaeologist Dr. Teresi Vonidillo. Dr. Teresi, it's been 30 years since you were an exchange student, now an assistant professor of anthropology at the same university. Had you always hoped to return? You know, this was something that was, uh, you know, unexpected. But I remembered in 1993, you know, when I came here to Hawaii, I just found the beauty, you know, in in Hawaii, you know, in, in the flora and fauna in particular. I made kind of, you know, that feeling inside me that one day I'll come back to Hawaii. But I didn't realize that it'll be in this form in which I can come back as a teacher. Uh, one of the things I tried to do was to try and find the dormitory that I stayed in, uh, <sighs> which was uh, called Hale Kauanoi, because it, you know, has so much memories, uh, you know, of me staying here. Because I have to say, Bobby, because uh, it was my first time away from home, away from my mom and dad and my siblings, I was very homesick. Mm. I have to tell you, you know, I yeah. was so homesick. I miss them so much. And every time I see the dormitory, I remember some of my crying moments. I don't know whether I should share that, but maybe I should. <laughs> you know, at, at the end of it all, you know, we're humans. You know, I was crying yeah. a lot most of the evenings, you know, missing my mom and missing my dad and missing her cooking and the storytelling and the laughter. But then uh, after two weeks, you know, of uh, feeling low and feeling sad, I decided to, you know, vow to myself that, hey, you know, stand up, girl. You know, you are very fortunate <laughs> to be here. You were selected from so many hundreds of students and uh, make the most of it. And that's exactly what I did. I started to enroll on so many of the clubs around campus. I got myself busy. I learned, you know, a new sport. I became a tennis player. <laughs> I learned... Uh, <laughs> Uh, how to play tennis and uh, I made myself so tired so when I reach my room in the evening I don't have time to cry Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> oh too exhausted I love it. <laughs> but uh, exactly I took so many photos uh, my one of my brother-in-laws my older sister's uh, first husband gifted me a camera when I was 16 and I brought that camera with me and that camera was like my joy, you know, everywhere I go, I took photos, I print them out and I send them to my family. And that was kind of like one way I was connecting to them through photos. Why is it so important for you to continue to connect with the Fijian community whilst living abroad? Yes. Um, I, I always, you know, believe that, um, you know, you may live in different countries, um, but it doesn't take away your identity. You know, um, in my case, you know, I can live in Australia, live in New Zealand and now living in Hawaii, but I'm still a Fijian. And uh, for me, deep down uh, with the work that I do in the field of museums and the field of archaeology and the field of anthropology, I... I'm privileged to access a lot of information about our heritage that many Fijians wouldn't have the opportunity to be to be given. And so I felt that I've been given this uh, you know wonderful uh, opportunity of study and academic work and research. So I felt that I I needed to share it with my people. 
And so everywhere I go, when I was living in New Zealand, I started teaching the language, you know, I started teaching the culture, I started teaching dance um, and, you know, getting whoever wants to listen to me. You know, I remember uh, organizing uh, my language classes in Auckland and my husband, I remember telling me, I don't think anybody's going to enroll in your class, in your class, Teresi. And I replied back to him. I replied back to him and I said, watch, watch this space. People will start calling. And definitely people were calling uh, Bobby. Um, you know, people say, oh, yes, I want to have class with you. Uh, how much does it cost? And so I was making money on the side. So I learned how to hustle from my mother, Bobby. You know, my... <laughs> You know, apart from my mom telling me how to read and write, you know, she also taught me, you know, how to live life and how to, uh, you know, get extra pocket money, you know, by doing things on the side. You know, my 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 love for language, you know, was just there, you know, and I just continued um, to do this teaching of language in New Zealand uh, when I went to Australia and then coming over here to Hawaii. And uh, thanks to COVID-19, you know, I started the the podcast Talano with Dr. T and now it's got this like a global forum you know where I get Fijians you know listening to some of the things that I want to share about our culture yeah I just find it very very important and particularly for myself you know working in the field of heritage management I think it's a part of our responsibility to not to get kicked but to share uh, this wonderful heritage knowledge that belongs to our people. Can you tell me a little bit more about Talanoa with Dr. T? Yeah. So, um, you know, when COVID-19 came to our world, I heard the news that the kids in Fiji were on lockdown and they're not allowed to go to school. So I was telling my children and I said, oh, wouldn't it be nice if I can do, you know, some storytelling to the Fijian children in Fiji? And of course, you know, my my children, you know, thinking, mom, you have so many things to do. Why you want to do thoughts, uh, you know, storytelling to kids, you know, back home. Um, but they know that my passion is in language and culture. So my daughter is very artistic. So she uh, made some flyers, posters for me. And my son is really good in IT. So he helped me, you know, set up the Zoom and set up, you know, at that time Zoom was very new. And then my husband came along and helped me with the content and started to tell me, so what do you want to talk about? I said, you know, it'd be nice for children, you know, maybe just for half an hour, two days a week, Tuesday, Thursday, they can just log in on Facebook and I can just uh, you know, do a short live and, you know, talk about, um, you know, the animals and the birds and the trees and the fish and the legends of Fiji. And the funny thing about it, on my first live, I remember I had 40 people listening uh, on my, uh, I was using my phone. And uh, I got I got excited because I've never done a live show before. I was holding my phone and I was like, "Oh, look at these people saying hi to me!" <laughs> you know, <laughs> they they were on the, and I didn't realize I was actually talking and it was live. They were actually responding, <laughs> and that's how everything rolled out. People just listening in and they were just so interested in what I was sharing. And so, Bobby, three years down the line, I'm still doing it till till now. <laughs> You are still doing it. I've checked out Talanoa with Dr. T and you have almost 10,000 subscribers. So, yeah. What, what do you enjoy most about teaching, Dr. Teresi? I just love the ability to share knowledge. One of the, uh, the scriptures that I remember my mother 
taught me at a very young age, blessed are the ones that give than those that receive. And that's the beauty I get out of it. That, you know, where you're able to share uh, the knowledge that I find through my research, through my reading, visiting museums around the world, and uh, talking to so many uh, archaeologists and anthropologists and geologists who willingly, you know, share their research with me. I just love to see the faces of students, you know, when their face light up. That kind of uh, give and take, you know, when I share and then the students respond, just makes the teaching profession so wonderful. What is your biggest achievement in life, Dr. Teresi? Yeah, I think getting my PhD was such a big achievement for me because English is a second language for me. I only spoke my mother's dialect and my dad's dialect, and I spoke the Bawan language uh, going to growing up in Fiji. And for me to write my uh, my thesis in the English language, it was uh, 108,000 words, was a huge achievement, you know. And for me, I was always saying, Bobby, you know, if a a young Fijian girl who loves to run around the forest, you know, collecting flowers <laughs> and firewood, feeding the pigs and uh, jumping in the creek and the river, you know, can reach this far. Anyone can. Dr. Teresi, thank you so much for being a guest on Stories from the Pacific. Bobby. Thank you so much. That was Dr. Teresi Vunidilo, Fijian archaeologist and assistant professor at the University of Hawaii. You've been listening to Stories from the Pacific on ABC Radio Australia. I'm Bobby McCumber and thanks for being with me today. You can hear more Stories from the Pacific by going to our website. Just look up ABC Pacific. You'll also find us wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you know someone whose story you'd like to hear, email me at storiesfromthepacific at abc.net.au. This episode of Stories from the Pacific was produced on the lands of the Ghana and Gundungurra people.